Our reading today comes from Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for the people of God. What do you do in times of trouble? What do people do in times of trouble? Often we pray, we beg, we plead with God to help. But if we cannot discern the answer, or it seems uncertain, if we're not sure the answer is coming, so often then we begin to question whether or not there is a God. And if there is a God, where is that God? What is that God doing? Why won't that God do what I want? or what I'm asking for God to do. It is easy for people to question the presence and the power and the wisdom of God. It's easy to question if God cares about me or not. The Israelites are having some trouble themselves today. Now, we don't have the same kind of trouble they do where they're looking for water in a desert. But we have our own troubles, do we not? I mean, we still deal with illnesses in our own lives or illnesses of people we love. We deal with being separated by distance or even losing someone to death. We're all trying to navigate a world where there is a pandemic that continues to spread and grow and make people sick and ill and even leads to death. So many things going on. We might be impacted economically by all of these different ripples from the pandemic. We might be struggling because of all the racial strife that's going on in our country right now. There's so many things that we're struggling with that we too might be asking, where is God? Is God here to help me? Or as the Israelites say it in our text today, is the Lord among us or not? Or where is God when we need help? Here they are. God has led them through Moses out of Egypt and into the wilderness or into the desert regions. God has been providing. Remember, this is not the first time they've complained about water or food. And every time, God has provided. But here they are at Rephidim now. And once again, the same issue. We don't have enough water. We can't find the water. Is God among us or not? Can we trust this God to provide? But this time is a little different. Moses 
feels the ferocity of their complaints to the end that he believes maybe they're about ready to put him in the ground where they can't find water. They're about ready to stone him to death, he thinks. He is scared, even though he's the leader of these people. Then in verse 4, it says, So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And what I want us to notice today is the different orientation, if you will, that we can see between how the people are reacting and how Moses is reacting. They're both in the same situation, but the way they approach it is really very different. Another way to think about it is to ask, I put the question in your outline, where are they focused? In the midst of this crisis, where are they focused? Where are the people focused? They're looking back. They're thinking about Egypt. They're focused on what they lack or what they miss. They're focused on their need, and they're letting their pressing need become so big that it's fueling their anxiety and fear, so much so that Moses thinks they're about ready to release it on him. But how does Moses react? It's in sharp contrast to how the people are reacting. Moses is not looking back. Moses is not even thinking about what they lack, although he recognizes they need water. He recognizes their anxiety. But Moses is looking toward God. We heard it in that fourth verse. So Moses cried out to the Lord. So Moses cried out to the Lord. Moses looked toward God for help and for an answer. It seems that Moses trusting God in a different way than the people do. And we can understand that in a way. Moses has more experience with God. Moses has responded to God's call to leave the life he was living, which was fine, to go back to Egypt and face the Pharaoh and lead the people out of Egypt and then lead them on this journey, which eventually is going to be a 40-year journey. It's going to consume the entirety of Moses' life. But there are some things here that Moses knows about God that the people seem yet to grasp. And I think we maybe could be helped if we would remember them as well. I've put them in your outline. The first thing is that Moses in his relationship with God knows this. God was and is the provider. God was and is the provider. There's also a second thing here that Moses looks to God and expects an answer. Moses expects help. And he cries out to the Lord and God answers, the text says. Then there's this third and final thing. Moses is ready to follow when God gives the direction. Moses is asking for help, receiving help, but the third part is also important. Moses is ready to trust God and follow God. Moses sees God as the leader. I mean, the people turn to Moses. They see him as the problem solver. Give us some water. But Moses knows it's not him. It's the deity he represents. It's Yahweh or the Lord the God of covenant, the creator of God, is with us and leading us and guiding us. Listen to how it's described in verse 5 and 6. After 
Moses asked God for help. Verse 5 says, The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. You see how Moses prays to God, speaks to God, cries out to God. God answers and Moses follows. It reminds me of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew describes this in his gospel in chapters 5, 6, and 7. In the middle of chapter 6, in the middle of this extended teaching or sermon that Jesus is sharing with his disciples and this large crowd of people who have gathered, he begins to talk to them about their material needs, what they will wear, what they will eat and drink. And remember what he says. God takes care of the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. Aren't you more important than that? The implication means won't you trust in God to provide and care for you? Won't you look for God rather than being caught up in the material needs and chasing after those? I want to read you a couple of verses after he raises up that God is the provider. This is chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 31. Jesus is speaking and says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what we will wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first. For the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you hear the priority of seeking God first? Moses is doing that. Do you recognize the pattern of Moses in this sixth chapter when Jesus is teaching? He's saying the same kind of thing that we're reading about in our text today. Seek God first. Turn to God first. Believe that God can provide and guide. And then finally, be ready to follow. How are you doing with that? Are you looking to God during this pandemic? Are you trusting in God? Are you seeking God first? Or are you letting the pressing needs of all of this weigh you down? Are you believing that God can provide and God will guide you? And as you feel God's presence and prompting, are you ready to follow? Do you know the name Harry Hoosier? He was the most famous black preacher in the early days of Methodism in the 1700s. He's often known and written about in Methodist history as a fellow they called Black Harry. He was born a slave, but he became a freedman. He was working as a carriage driver. It's 1780. Francis Asbury is 
functioning as the bishop of the Methodist in America, the newly formed nation. He's the most famous white preacher in America. And Harry Hoosier is his carriage driver. Harry is illiterate, but Bishop Asbury realizes that he has an uncanny mind. He's able to memorize long passages of Scripture and then quote them back verbatim. Bishop Asbury begins to read passages of Scripture to Harry as they travel. And Asbury traveled a lot, thousands and thousands of miles every year. He itinerated up and down the eastern seaboard, preaching to the Methodists, organizing people that might become Methodists, exhorting them, encouraging them, doing the organizational work, then traveling to another place to do it again and again and again. He began to think Black Harry could be a person that when he stopped to preach to a group of people could sort of warm up the crowd, so to speak, by quoting long passages of Scripture from memory. But the more they traveled together, Asbury began to realize that Black Harry had more skill and talent. He began to realize he should be a preacher in his own right. They began to work on that together as they continued to travel together. Finally, the first recorded place we have of Harry Hoosier preaching is in Virginia in 1781, a place called Adams Chapel. Bishop Asbury got up and preached to the crowd, mostly white, still some segregation in those days. He had Black Harry scheduled to preach after him, thinking the white people would disperse and the black people would come. But what happened is after Bishop Asbury preached, many of the white people stayed, and then the black people did come. Black Harry preached to them all. Dr. Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, was in the crowd that day. He later said it was the greatest sermon he had ever heard preached, the one that Black Harry preached. He was moved. He was touched. Black Harry had a gift for preaching. He was not only, though, a great orator in terms of moving the crowds, but he also had a deep and challenging message. They say that often when he was preaching to a mostly black crowd, he challenged them to a better life, to holiness of heart and life, to live more faithfully as disciples of Christ. But they said when he had mostly a wide audience, he challenged them to reject slavery on the basis of the gospel. He was not a bashful man. He was willing to proclaim the gospel message. I began to think, oh, I would have loved being there to hear him preach. Bishop of Asbury and Black Harry, what a day. But then I began to wonder, me being a white person, living in the 1780s, hearing an illiterate black man tell me to reject one of the accepted institutions of the day, one that was an income generator that made the economy work, that benefited all the whites in the nation. Would I have been willing to hear that gospel proclamation? to reject what was the common practice and then the accepted status quo of the day? 
how do you think you would have reacted? If you would have been in one of those congregations, what would you have thought? I begin to think of the black people who are speaking to us today, inviting us to reject institutions of segregation that disadvantage black and brown people in our own culture right now, who call us to make moves for greater justice and equality and freedom for all people who challenge us to be willing to say as white people out loud that black lives matter, that we care about what's happening in our culture, even if it's happening to people of a different skin color than our own. How does it strike your ears? How does it strike your heart? When you hear a black person today calling you to reject what you have known, what you've believed has been fine, how do you hear it? Are you ready to hear it as a spiritual call grounded in the Gospels that all people, black and brown people included, are children of God? I thought I would have loved to hear Black Harry preach. I think I would have been inspired. And on the other hand, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I would have been able to embrace the message. Bishop Asbury and his partner, Bishop Koch, who was the other early bishop in the days of Methodism in the 1780s in America, both praised Black Harry as a great preacher, Thomas Koch wrote in his journal that Black Harry was one of the best preachers in all the world. And yet when it came down to treating him equal, there still were some problems in early Methodism. Let me give you just one example. In December of 1784, Harry Hoosier was commissioned to go out and spread the word that there was going to be a annual conference, if you will, a gathering of the preachers and leaders of Methodism. The Revolutionary War was over. It was time to organize what had been a movement from England into its own organizational institutional life in America. And Harry Hoosier went out and made the call. The people came. Harry was there. Also another African-American man, Richard Allen, who later became a founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, was there as well. They were both in attendance, but neither of them were allowed to vote. December 1784, they gathered on December 24th, Christmas Eve, and met for several days. Does it sound familiar? Black people present, but not able to vote. Black people present, but not given equal voice, not treated equally, treated as somehow they need to be less than whites or subservient to whites. It's a disturbing part of our history. But not only then, even now. And so often when there's social unrest 
It's difficult to discern where God is moving, where God is leading, especially if it feels like God is leading us into a wilderness, into an unknown, into something so very different than what we have become comfortable with in our own lives. The story today makes it so very clear. The Israelite people want to follow Moses, want to believe in God. They follow for a while, then they fall back. They're re-energized. They follow again for a while. Then they begin to complain and lose faith. They follow again, and then they fall back and begin to quarrel with one another and even question if God cares, if God is there, or if God is with them at all. You can hear it in the last part of the passage that we read today. It tells it so clearly. That they're following God and then they begin to complain. The people do. They go to Moses. Moses turns to God. God answers Moses' cry. And yet it's so interesting to me that the passage doesn't end with great praise and thanksgiving. But ends like this. Moses did so, that is, did what God called him to do in the sight of the elders of Israel. Yet he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is God with us or not? Is God leading us or not? This story is such a relevant reminder for us that it's so easy to look back to fall back into our comfort zones and miss where God is leading us today miss the challenge and the call God is offering us for a new life a better life even though it doesn't look like the life to which we have become accustomed today we are shown a better way by Moses and endorsed by Jesus Seek God first. Turn to God first in times of trouble. Believe that God can provide and will guide you and then be ready to follow. May it be so for us in our day. Amen. And thanks be to God.